Today on Blue 58, plenty of guys have a lot on the line in 2023, but A.J. Dillon might have the most to gain. Coming off a disappointing 2022 season, how does he bounce back this year? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am excited to be with you here for another episode. Sorry about the missed episode late last week. We uh, had some stuff going on at our house. My wife had a, a music gig that she needed my help with, and... Time kind of got away from us. So no episode for Friday, but we're trying to get back on track this week. So thank you for your patience. OTAs continue to proceed apace. It's been enjoyable to watch things kind of unfold. It's been exciting. And really, my big takeaway as I've watched everything going on is that I'm just trying to enjoy where we're at. There's a bunch of things that I'm excited about. And I, I want to talk through each of those things, but I, I guess I would just want to start off by saying just kind of lean into the excitement at this time of year. There's going to be a plenty of time to be ultra-realistic about the Packers. We can talk about who's going to make the roster, who's not going to make the roster, the team's prospects for this season, and we'll do that. But if you want to just get excited about OTAs, that's fine. There's plenty of time to talk about the reality of who's going to make it and which guys are going to pan out. And the truth is... Packers are probably not going to win the Super Bowl this year. And the fact is, most years, that's going to be the case. You could make money betting against the Packers winning the Super Bowl in any given year because it's just so hard to do, and there's only one team out of 32 is going to do it. You could make money just betting on most guys not making the roster. Of the, what, 13 guys the Packers drafted this spring— Shoot, if four of those guys pan out to be NFL players, the Packers are going to be, feel really good about what they've done. They're going to feel over the moon about this draft class. But right now, all 13 of them on the roster, shoot, might as well be excited about all 13. It's just limitless possibility right now. Here we're in the first week of June, you might as well just enjoy that unlimited possibility. And the first and most exciting guy, the most like hyped up guy of training, not training camp, OTA so far, seems to be Romeo Dobbs. And maybe you don't feel overly excited about him after his rookie campaign kind of started hot in training camp and then was a bit of a downward slope from there. But boy, the press is coming fast and furious now. Paul Brettel at Packers Wire wrote this a couple weeks ago, not a couple weeks ago, a few days ago. It's only one OTA practice in late May and the pads aren't even on. However, if there was a standout performance for the Green Bay Packers at Wednesday's practice, it was second-year wide receiver Romeo Dobbs. Practice was cut slightly short due to some incoming rain, but before then, Dobbs was a go-to target of Jordan Love's. His first noteworthy play came on a third and ten drill with Love buying time as the pocket collapsed during the scrambled-like drill. Dobbs saw the soft spot down the left sideline between the cornerback and safety, giving Love a wide enough window to drop the ball in for a completion. Going into year two, I'm playing a lot faster, said Dobbs after practice. So I don't want to say comfortable because I know being comfortable comes with some sort of complacent area, but just humbly speaking, I'm playing a lot faster. It's going to be interesting to see what he does this year. I'm really excited about what he can do and really interested to see what he can do for the Packers this year for one weird and possibly stupid reason. He's probably the fastest, second fastest receiver the Packers have had in, what, 10 years? I'm not saying he's the fastest receiver the Packers have. I'm saying he's the fastest 
second fastest receiver the Packers have had in a while. Christian Watson is the fa- their fastest guy right now. But who's the next fastest after him? It's probably Dobbs. And think back for a while. How long has it been since the Packers have had a legitimately speedy second guy in addition to their like top deep threat? Beyond Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who was it for the longest time? I can't think of really any significant contributor that the Packers had that offered any kind of speed. It was probably Randall Cobb in 2021. Prior to that, the fastest receiver prior to MVS was, well, it would have been Trevor Davis for a little while, but he wasn't a big contributor. Jordy Nelson was their fastest guy for a while, I would think. But their second fastest guy, other than that, you're back in the, you know, Trevor Davises of the world who are barely, <laughs> like barely NFL level receivers. It What I'm saying is the Packers haven't had this kind of speed at receiver in a while. And if there's no other reason to be excited about Romeo Dobbs, just being the fastest, second fastest guy they've had might be it. Other things I'm excited about, just enjoying the vibes of during OTAs. Number two, Zach Tom. There have been reports at OTAs about him lining up at both tackle and center, and I love to see both of those things. I think he can be a real contributor at both of those spots. Still of the opinion that center might be his best long-term position. But just it is exciting here heading into year two to see another Elton Jenkins-type scenario maybe unfolding. Elton Jenkins, it was thrilling to watch him figure out that he could be a real contributor at every spot on the offensive line. If the Packers get 60% of that, you've got a guy who can start at three spots in the offensive line, that's another home run draft pick. I'm also excited about Luke Musgrave. Maybe there's holes in his game. I think we've definitely talked about those at some length at this point. But the Packers haven't had a tight end like him in as long as I can remember. Just looking at flat-out speed at tight end, it's probably since Jermichael Finley that you've had somebody who can move like Luke Musgrave can. On the defensive side, Lucas Van Ness, I think, is undeniably exciting. He is going to have a huge opportunity to come in and and really make a splash from day one. In a normal year, you'd probably compare him pretty strongly to 2019 Rashawn Gary and that he's going to be basically redshirting this year. He'll get a sprinkling of snaps, but uh, beyond that, they wouldn't count on him for much. But with Rashawn Gary recovering from his torn ACL there is going to be a much bigger role available for him early on. And if he's a starting edge rusher in week one, that wouldn't be a big surprise. I'm also excited about two fairly low roster guys that I think have some interesting traits. The first is Isaiah McDuffie. The Packers probably don't have a lot of inside linebacker snaps to go around, but the Packers also haven't had a lot of guys beyond their starters in recent years who've even been in the conversation at linebacker. Last year, it was Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker and really nobody else with the injuries that Chris Barnes dealt with. Isaiah McDuffie did have a small role last year, but you know didn't do a ton of work on defense. He has a chance to take another step this year. Prior to that, it was the committee-like linebacker stuff that the Packers did. You had the couple years between Blake Martinez departing, or really just the one year between Martinez departing and Devondre Campbell arriving, where they had to sort it out with a bunch of guys. Uh, Remember the Christian Kirksey era? There's a guy I bet you haven't thought about in a while. Uh, Chris Barnes, Kamal Martin that same year, just a bunch of guys fitting in there. They really haven't had top-end talent to let somebody develop behind them. 
I think McDuffie still is an interesting prospect in terms of what he could contribute on defense, and I want to see if he can take a step this year. I'm also excited about Carrington Valentine. Uh, In terms of guys farther down the depth chart in the secondary, he's got some of the best athletic upside, and he didn't play in like a, I don't want to, you know, disparage any football conference, any college football conference, but it wasn't like he was playing slouches week in and week out. You know, doing SEC football, you you are playing against some pretty significant talent. He at least has that going for him, and he's a tremendous athlete on top of that. If you're looking for a breakout defender from the Packers' day three picks, he's got a real shot, I think. My overall point here is kind of where we started. It's okay to just be excited about these sorts of players. It's It's exciting to get back into football. It's exciting to think about what could be. We all know the truth is that most of these guys aren't going to develop into anything. But it's okay to look at OTA highlights right now and just go, yeah, that's pretty neat. These guys could really turn out to be something interesting. And, you know, maybe this is the first draft class in history where a a GM just nails like 13 consecutive picks in a row. That would be something. You never know. What do we say? Every, you know, from time to time, you got to keep watching sports because every so often something you've never seen before is going to happen. Maybe that's what it is for the Packers this go-round. All right, we opened up about talking about A.J. Dillon, and we were perhaps excessively positive here in the first segment. We might skew a little bit more negative in this one because we're talking about a guy who, by his own admission, didn't really live up to expectations in 2022. When you talk about the guys that have the most to gain or most to lose in 2023, Dylan might be at the very top of that list. Between him and Yash Nyman, there's a lot of money that could be flowing their way next spring. Nyman has a much higher ceiling in terms of what he could make just because he plays a more valuable position, but A.J. Dillon stands to make quite a bit of money next year too. He just turned 25. He's got just over 400 career carries. If you're looking at his career arc from here, He's probably going to sign what amounts to a three-year deal that's really a two-year deal next spring, meaning that he's looking at getting one real big chance to cash in here. Because if he plays two years on his next deal, he'll be going into his age 27 season for year three. If he gets cut, another three-year deal would cut him or would carry him almost to age 30. And that contract is going to be significantly smaller. And he'll be probably well over a thousand career carries by that point, people will be worried about wear and tear, especially considering the workload that he carried at Boston College. So if he's going to cash in big, it's going to be after this season. And given what he is as a physical prospect, given you know his physical dimensions, someone is going to talk themselves into A.J. Dillon if he has any kind of success this year. So that means that there is a lot at stake for Dillon. And he needs to improve, to cash in. And like I said, he realizes this. Earlier this summer, well, I guess it's barely summer now, so earlier this spring, uh, he responded to a fan who tweeted this about him on Twitter. Uh, The fan in question said, A.J. Dillon seems like a great guy, and it's fun to watch him barrel over people at the goal line, but I've never seen a 245-pound running back get stopped by so many ankle tackles. And Dillon dropped a pretty long, quote, tweet in response. I'll read part of it here. Quote, you grow from year to year and learn how better, how better, how to better yourself and your team. I've always set off-season goals and points of emphasis, 
of things to focus on, along with my coaches looking back at last year, your point rings true. If people are going to tackle me low most of the time, I've got to work on coming out of those. Knee drive and other techniques have been a huge focus for me this offseason and something I'm hoping on translating into this year on the field. Those conversations with his coaches have played out in part in public. Packers running backs coach Ben Sermons spoke to that effect. He said, quote, this wasn't the type of year and expectations that not only he had for himself, but what I had for him and what others in this building had for him. I think that he's the type of person, at least from what he's shown me, that he's going to respond to that challenge and come out and have a much more productive year. And you saw a lot of great things in spurts, but that was just the problem. It was just in spurts. It wasn't consistent, and that's what our goal is, end quote. So A.J. Dillon realizes he needs to improve. His coaches want him to approve. That leaves us with the the question, what does he need to improve on to have a better 2023? Let's start, as we so often do, by defining the negative here. What can't he do? Because a lot of running back performance is really out of their hands. He can't make the offensive line block better, and a lot of his success is going to be tied into that. He can't throw himself better passes, and that played a surprisingly big role in Dylan's decline in the passing game this last year, and I have the numbers to prove it. On top of that, just the number of things you can even do as a running back is limited compared to a receiver or tight end. A tight end, you can have a better year in a whole bunch of different ways. You can be a better blocker. You can be a better receiver. You can line up differently, spend more time in line, spend more time detached from from the formation, spend more time split out wide as a receiver. You can be put into motion in more productive ways than a running back can. There are just different and greater ways that other skill positions can be used that you just can't get to as a running back. Even in the most creative running schemes, it comes down to run left, run right, run up the middle, and the passing game for running backs is pretty limited. It has grown and changed a lot over the past however many years, but it still is very limited compared to the rest of the passing game. So where can A.J. Dillon improve? What can he really do to get better in 2023? Where it starts, I would say, is yards after contact. A.J. Dillon's a big guy. He's a really big guy. But he has never been, really since his rookie year, exceptional at breaking tackles. As a rookie in 2020, he gained 3.44 yards per carry after contact. In 2021, that number was down to 3.14 yards, almost exactly a third of a yard. And in 2022, he was down to 2.9 yards per carry after contact. He just hasn't been as good running through contact as he was earlier in his career. And I think maybe that is some evidence of people changing how they approach A.J. Dillon, realizing you can just go after him low and taking him down there. And I don't really know what needs to improve there. But it's something that can be improved. Here's a dated reference for you. Do you remember Dennis Miller, uh, the comedian turned Monday Night Football commentator? After his time on Monday Night Football came to an end, he had a, a national syndicated talk show. Talked about everything. He talked about sports, current events, whatever. And he had a line that I happened to hear once on my way home from work at my second job after I graduated out of college, working the late shift as a receptionist at a gym. Life has changed a little bit since then over the past, what is it, 12 years now or so. Anyway, he had a segment talking about Brandon Jacobs of the New York Giants. If you don't remember Brandon Jacobs, that's fine. 
but he was another enormous running back. Six foot four, at least 250. Big, hulking guy, cut, muscles everywhere. And like A.J. Dillon, was not always as powerful of a runner as you would expect. And on his show, Dennis Miller said, you know what they really should do in New York is get a full-length mirror and put it on the sideline and have Brandon Jacobs look in it before he goes out on the field for every drive. Just look at yourself, Brandon. Look how big you are. None of these guys are as big as you are. Do something about that. Do something with that. And he kind of went on in that sort of jokey point. But I think there's an element of truth to that. Sometimes guys just don't have the mindset that they need to as a bigger, stronger player. And I think there is a little bit of that to A.J. Dillon's game. Be the hammer instead of just waiting for contact to come to you. He has tended to dance a little bit. And just being the big, powerful back that he can be, I think would help a lot with that yards after contact that we saw earlier in his career. He's also got to do a better job in 2023 of just catching the ball. He had a big drop in his catch percentage between 2021 and 2022. The target numbers are about the same. 43 targets in 2022, 37 targets in 2021. But in 21, he caught almost 92% of his targets, 91.9%. In 2022, that number dropped to 65%. Pro Football Focus tagged him for five drops in 2022, up from just one in 2021. He just did not do as good of a job at catching the ball. Now, there is a bit of a caveat here. He did have fewer catchable balls thrown his way in 2022. According to Sports Information Solutions, just over 94% of his targets in 2021 were considered catchable. But in 2022, that dropped to just 80%. Now, there's still a big difference between the 80% that were catchable and the 65% of targets that he caught. But that is a big decline. And I have to think that played a part in the performance that he showed us in 2022. Still, he can do a better job of catching the ball this season. Finally, yards after the catch. Again, not entirely in his control. It's going to depend on how he's used and and what sort of things he can do. Uh, In that respect, just where he is getting the ball in the field, that that is going to affect his yards after the catch opportunities. But his yards after the catch dropped in a big way in 2022. In 2021, he averaged 9.3 yards after the catch. In 2022, that number was down to 7.4 per catch. It, not a big decline, but enough to be noticeable. Maybe enough that you just, you could, or maybe small enough that you could chalk it up to being um, just a a, a factor of his use. But I think it kind of dovetails with the earlier point about him breaking tackles. If you're going to try to dance in the open field as a bigger back, you're probably just going to get brought down. But if you catch the ball and get upfield with bad intentions, looking for the smallest defensive back that you can find to, you know, obliterate with your 250 something pound frame, well, that is probably going to make you a more effective receiver just by virtue of the fact that you're getting some more yards and doing a little damage to the opposing team along the way. As a last point, and if you've got a suggestion on how to put a number on this, I tried to look at it a bunch of different ways. I couldn't come up with a, a real definite way to talk about consistency. But Dylan's just got to be more consistent in 2022. It felt like from week to week last season, or in 2023, sorry, last season was 2022. And it felt like from week to week, we often didn't know which A.J. Dillon we were going to get. 
was he going to be the guy that was the skilled player, the smooth receiver, the powerful back that we saw at times in 2020 or 2021? Or were we going to get a tentative guy who looked at times a little bit too heavy or at least ran heavy, slow feet, uh, just couldn't seem to contribute? I don't know what contributes to that. I don't know why it worked out that way, but I think that that's not an out-of-line characterization. Some weeks he was good, some weeks it was bad, and it didn't seem to be dependent necessarily on who was around him because Aaron Jones thrived in situations where Dylan struggled, and Jones still made made hay in situations where Dylan was not able to produce. It wasn't like he was being dragged down or the entire running game was being dragged down by the performance of, say, the offensive line or the passing game because Aaron Jones produced and A.J. Dillon didn't. There were some games when he did, but they just came irregularly. You just didn't know what you were going to get from Dillon. And being more of that known commodity, I think, that reliable, dependable force is how you become the sort of player that really cashes in in the free agent market. If nothing else put up a couple really good games and point to those once you hit free agency next spring. It's really tough to find things a running back can improve on, but I think those are a few things at least at, at least we can take a look at and hope for some improvement there. If he does improve in those areas, it probably means the rest of the offense is functioning better too, which means that you know Dylan probably is going to get dragged along a little bit, but if that's what it takes to improve, Shoot, I think that ends up helping the Packers get where they need to be anyway. I'd like to close with three questions about the secondary. Uh, we've talked about doing you know, our, our three questions about a variety of different spots today. Just want to talk about the secondary. First big question that I have is, how much will Rasul Douglas really play outside? The Packers say they think about him primarily as an outside guy this year after you know toying around with him as a slot corner last year until Eric Stokes got hurt. How much is he really going to play outside? If and when Eric Stokes get healthy, gets healthy, will that bump Douglas back into the slot? We don't have an answer for this. We, we won't have an answer for some time. But how committed really are the Packers to playing Rasul Douglas on the outside? And then even if their primary role for him is on the outside, do they still want to move him inside from time to time? Second question is how much of a load can Keyshawn Nixon carry in the slot? I know what the Packers have said they will do. They want him to be their primary slot guy, but what can he do? He's never really been a full-time defensive player. He's been a depth player for most of his career, but if the Packers are thinking of him as essentially their starting slot guy, he's probably looking at more snaps on defense than he's really ever played in his NFL career. So can he carry the load? I don't know if we have an answer to that. I don't know if we will get an answer to that, depending on other factors on their on their roster. But what is he really good for in 2023? What can you count on Keyshawn Nixon to give you in the slot? He seems like the kind of guy who is going to want to give you absolutely everything, but given his other responsibilities on this team, what can he really give you? Figuring out the answer to that is going to shape a couple different decisions the Packers have to make. You've got to figure out what you want for depth at, at slot, and you've got to figure out what you're going to do if you decide you need Keyshawn Nixon playing more defense 
and take him off special team stuff as a result. And shoot, with the way that the kickoff rule is going right now, there may not be that much of a role for Keyshawn Nixon returning kicks this year anyway, despite his insistence that he doesn't want to fair catch anything. Finally, last question, what does a Darnell Savage bounce back year really look like? The Packers have talked about how they need and want Darnell Savage to bounce back. Darnell Savage has talked about what he wants to do in terms of getting back on track for this year. We've talked about how the Packers really need him to be good because, if nothing else, he is a known commodity at safety, and given the turnover at that position, the amount of new bodies there, the relative you know, unknowns at safety beyond Darnell Savage, they need him to be good for those reasons. What does that actually look like? It's probably not improving as a tackler or because there's really not a level where Savage can get back to. He's never really been a solid tackler. Coverage-wise, he was much better under Mike Pettin, so that seems unlikely, though if they play him more in a Pettin-esque role as a traditional like cover two deep safety, there may be some more opportunities for him to succeed there. Really, it probably just comes down to making more splash plays, more ball hawk type stuff, getting, you know, passes defensed and interceptions. And I don't really know what you do schematically to get Darnell Savage in a position to do that. I don't know if there's something he needs to do to to make more plays on the ball other than just playing better. So as there's been all this talk about him bouncing back or or improving this year, I don't really know what it is. What is he going to do that's really going to improve over where he was in 2022? That's a tough question to answer other than just play better. But the areas where he can play better really are not things that he's he's done especially well. Even in coverage, when he did play well, it was an, under an entirely different defensive scheme. So the opportunities for him to really improve this year are kind of slim. So I've got for you on the Packers this week. Before I let you go for this evening, whatever you happen to be listening to this, I want to give a shout out to someone important. I want to give a shout out to a woman named Doris Hendricks. Mrs. Hendricks retired last week after more than 40 years as a second grade teacher at Oostburg Christian School in Oostburg, Wisconsin. Mrs. Hendricks was my second grade teacher. And she was a very, very special person to a whole bunch of kids. She taught, of course, a lot of different things as a second grade teacher. But one of the most important things that she taught me was to not do anything halfway. If we were going to do stuff in Mrs. Hendricks' classroom, we were going all out. When we had reading competitions, we read enough books that we could make a list of books that stretched all the way around our second grade classroom. When we had Spirit Day or Spirit Week or whatever it was for uh, the Packers that year, nobody wore more green and gold than Mrs. Hendricks or the second graders in her classroom. When we did a unit on Mexico, we didn't just learn a bunch of facts about Mexico. We pretended to take a trip to Mexico for the entire day, including rearranging a conference room within our school to look like the inside of an airplane so we could pretend that we were flying down there. The principal of the school came down and pretended at Mrs. Hendricks' request to be our airplane pilot. Mrs. Hendricks did everything full go every day. And if we can get any of that in Blue 58, I think she succeeded. 
She succeeded in a whole lot of other ways, just by being a faithful servant for more than 40 years. But just think about the people who have done that in your life. Mrs. Hendricks was that for me and for a whole bunch of other people. And well done for her at the end of a long run as a great, great second grade teacher. Now that's all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it that's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.